Welcome to Live Yes with Arthritis from the Arthritis Foundation. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn things that can help you improve your life and turn no into yes. This podcast is part of the Live Yes Arthritis Network, a growing community of people like you who really care about conquering arthritis once and for all. Our hosts are arthritis patients, Rebecca and Julie, and they're asking the questions you want answers to. Listen in. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm Rebecca, an occupational therapist living with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. And I'm Julie, a JA patient who's passionate about making sure all patients have a voice. Thanks for joining us today. I know sleep is elusive for so many of us living with arthritis, not just during a pandemic, Julie, but I struggle (laughs) with getting enough good quality sleep on a regular basis all the time. Yeah, I do too. I I think I've told you this story before, but whenever I was flaring in my teenage years, I went to my rheumatologist to try to figure out if we should change my therapy or do something different with my medication. And she ended up writing me a prescription for sleep. Not a sleeping medicine, (laughs) not anything like that. She just wrote on that blue pad, sleep. (laughs) And I I put it in a, a picture frame and I still have it in my bedroom to this day as just a reminder to get good sleep. But even with that reminder, even knowing how important it is, it doesn't make it easier always to sleep through the night or to get a good bedroom routine in or sleeping routine in. Uh, It's tough. It's very hard. And so that's why we're really lucky today to have our guest on the podcast, who is a sleep expert, author, and researcher, Dr. Rebecca Robbins. Dr. Robbins is a postdoctoral research fellow at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. She co-authored the book Sleep for Success in 2011 and is published in several peer-reviewed literature publications, including Sleep, the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology and Preventing Chronic Disease. Dr. Robbins, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you here to chat about something that's on everybody with arthritis's mind, sleep. (laughs) It's one of those elusive things that we all want so desperately and maybe sometimes have a very difficult time getting. Can you share with us a little bit about yourself and how you came to specialize in sleep? Certainly. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you all. I am a sleep researcher at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. And I work with a team called the Sleep Matters Initiative led by Dr. Charles Seisler. And our team is very focused on doing research to uncover the link between our sleep and our waking success, but also the role of sleep deprivation in really concerning health outcomes. Our work is really exciting because we're uncovering new things every day that highlight um, just how important sleep is. So I'm so excited to share some of those insights with you all today. I'm also the co-author of a book called Sleep for Success. Sleep for Success. I love that title. That's awesome. Me too. I need some of that. Yeah. I think everybody in our community probably could use some insight on how to sleep successfully. I know that it's something that is a constant struggle in my patient experience, and I'm sure for yours as well, right, Rebecca? Oh, totally. I always talk about pain somnia and how I don't sleep. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just curious, um, what's the number one thing that you've heard people say about difficulty sleeping? 
Painsomnia. Hold on. I just love that term. That's apropos. And you know, that really starts a, a really vicious cycle whereby pain causes sleep disruption. And then conversely, sleep disruption maybe exacerbates pain, um, either underlying issues or kind of contributing to the development of new issues. We categorize sleep disturbance broadly as one of three primary issues we see. Uh, the first being difficulty falling asleep. So that could be a busy mind, you know, heart racing, a difficulty unwinding before bed. Another type of sleep issue is waking up throughout the course of the night. So interrupting your sleep. And that could perhaps, you know, be to wake up and use the bathroom, or it could be waking because you're in pain. The third form of sleep disturbance or uh, sleep issues are simply waking up a little bit too early or a little bit or a lot too early and not being able to fall asleep. So it's a little bit different than the nighttime awakening. It's, you know, essentially waking up at three, four o'clock in the morning and having a really hard time falling back asleep. So each of these difficulties, when experienced in the longer term, can then result in insomnia when they go unabated. Uh, and that can result in a clinical diagnosis of insomnia. But each difficulty also has rather specific treatment or suggestions. So if you have difficulty falling asleep, we generally have a different set of suggestions. And then if you're waking up in the middle of the, of the night, the recommendations are slightly nuanced. And, and to just give you a, a small sense, if you're having difficulty you know, unwinding and quieting the mind at night, some of the best strategies for addressing that issue are drawing attention to stress throughout the day or pain throughout the day and trying to manage that proactively. In the case of stress, for instance, some really good strategies and suggestions are really focusing on relaxing before bed, starting to quiet the mind and uh, slip into this kind of this different rhythm, which is sleep. And you know, getting ready for sleep is also really important because we think um, too often that our brains are like our smartphone devices that we can turn <laughs> off the switch. And wouldn't that be lovely to be able to do that? But sleep is actually you know, really a process. So taking time to change your mindset from the mindset of go, go, go during our days, or you know, which are full of processing information and meeting people and thinking about things and analytically, you know, analyzing events and information. And at nighttime, it's, it's a different mode. It's uh, starting to shift your breathing to be a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit longer, and, you know, stepping away from the busyness of your day and getting ready for uh, the theater of the night and your sleep. Wow. All three sleep issues that you mentioned. Mm. I don't know about you, Julie, but I have all three of those issues. Yep. <laughs> Um, right. I'm sure there's a lot of people do that do, but I'm also sure that most people with arthritis uh, probably experience all three of those. Mm. I feel like we need to break that down more. <laughs> you offered strategies on, on some of that, but what if you picked the three issues for sleep is the one that we can affect the most change on? It's really individual. So you might have a difficulty falling asleep, whereas someone else might have a difficulty. You know, they, they fall asleep without a problem, but then they wake up several times over the course of the night. So sleep is really intensely personal. And the other issue that we haven't talked about yet are sleep disorders. And there's actually over 89 differentially diagnosable sleep disorders. And the, the kind of the most common ones that you may have heard of are insomnia, which we've discussed already. Obstructive sleep apnea is another really concerning sleep disorder that's associated with pauses in breathing over the course of the night, associated with a higher body mass index. 
it can sometimes be a structural issue that causes those interruptions of breath, structural issue in the throat, for instance. And those individuals with obstructive sleep apnea are waking up many times over the course of the night. So they are extremely sleepy because of all of those many awakenings. Restless leg syndrome, narcolepsy. The good news is many of them are treatable, but there are also sleep disorders that are important to consider. So there's really not a kind of, you know, number one issue or one size fits all treatment, but we talked through the the difficulty falling asleep. So some of the issues are things to keep in mind if that's an issue for you, quieting the mind, doing some relaxing before bed. Another really good strategy is a for all of us, but especially someone who has difficulty falling asleep is starting a soothing bedtime routine, uh, really doing something, kind of taking a page out of a child's book, really, what we do for for children in our population, who, by the way, are the most well-rested segment of our population <laughs> uh, because they're doing everything right. By and large, you know, mommy or daddy's voice gets quiet and we read a bedtime story. We have a, a warm glass of milk, you know, 30, 40 minutes before bed. And then we take a, a warm shower or a bath and then turn the lights off and lull them to sleep. And, you know, frankly, we would, as adults, do really well to actually think of that playbook of maybe a warm cup of tea, you know, 30, 40 minutes before bed, slipping into a different mindset, turning the lights low, taking a warm shower. So any of those uh, strategies, picking the ones that are the most soothing to you and being diligent, really practicing them religiously. You know, we call it a routine for a reason uh, or a bedtime ritual, because the idea is you have a set of activities that are for you personally soothing and relaxing. And And I say it's personal because some of us, you know, it's very relaxing to talk to a loved one. And for some of us, that might not be relaxing. <laughs> so <laughs> you want to pick and you know really put all of your energy into uh, really unplugging from your day and doing things you love in those moments before bed. So again, that's really great for that person who's having a hard time uh, falling asleep. And then if you are in the category of waking up at night, and this is a, a real, really common issue. And for those individuals, first think about why you might be waking up is it pain or is it just having too much water close to bedtime? Because that's an easy fix. Yeah. In that case, it's just you know monitoring your water consumption close to bedtime so you don't have to have to wake up. But when you do wake up in the middle of the night, if you're in that category, you really want to do what you woke up to do. If that's go to the bathroom, then you use the bathroom. Or if it's um, you know a little pain, try to get up and do a little self-massage or a little meditation, keep the lights low. And then the, the key thing is going back when you're tired. Now, if you for many years have had a disturbance like this, waking up in the middle of the night, and uh, you're kind of teetering on the line of being a clinical diagnosis for insomnia, you know, this is a real issue for you. This is going to take a lot of time to really break that cycle. If you're slipped back into the sheets and you're tossing and turning, this is absolutely critical. And it's a really easy fix, but many people think it's just better to stay in bed if you're having any sort of sleep disturbance. At all, but that actually starts to train yourself to look at your at your bed as where insomnia happens or sleep difficulty happens. Mm. So whenever you experience yeah. any tossing and turning, you really want to change the environment, get out of the bedroom, and kind of go back to that playbook of what helped you fall asleep. So whether that's a little bit of meditation, you know, journaling, maybe keeping the lights low, and then returning to bed when you're tired. Mm. So about how long should you wait? One of the worst things to do is you lay in bed and you're watching the clock like I'm losing an hour. And you think <laughs> right. I've been up for two hours. Oh, I'll yeah. just get up. I could watch okay. a whole, you know, like I, 
read my book. I, you know, so much during that time (laughs) productive versus laying here. So is there a, a recommended amount of time that I should lay there before I actually get up? When it comes to the clock, you really don't want to be worried. You know, how long is it taking me? What time is it if I wake up? So if you have an alarm clock with a bright face, get that out of the bedroom. Because that, if you're having sleep difficulties, is going to be very stressful because you wake up and you look at the clock and you're like, ah, oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. And this is, you know, I wish I was asleep. What's, what's going on here? So you really want to avoid the temptation to look at the clock. So that's number one. But in terms of you know, how long it takes you, the well-rested sleeper, it takes them about 15 or 20 minutes to fall asleep, whether that's the outset of sleep or if you wake up to use the bathroom, uh, it could be a little bit less, but it's going to be in that in that range. And another way to kind of characterize that amount of time is, you know, when you slip into bed and there's this little voice after a little bit of time that says, oh, not again. <laughs> as soon as that voice kind of chimes in, that's when you need to get out of bed and start the process again because it's, you know, it's not working. So about 15 or 20 minutes or when you hear that little voice that's like, oh, not again, I'm having an issue. And when that comes in, all you do is go back to that playbook of, you know, leave the bedroom, keep the lights low, use the bathroom, do whatever it is you need to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe go back to your, uh, those activities that are soothing to you. So reading, journaling, meditating, some light yoga poses, which might be really good for your community, things along those lines, again, keeping the lights low and then going back to bed when you are tired. We want to hear from you about topics you'd like us to cover in future Live Yes with Arthritis podcasts. And tell us how we're doing. Go to arthritis.org slash podcast. Just scroll down to the big green block at the bottom of the page and click Get Started to start the survey. That's arthritis.org slash podcast. We talk a lot about giving patients, giving people permission to do the thing that they have not done before. And for me, one of those things, it was starting to exercise again or you know, taking up space in advocacy or when it comes to sleep, giving myself permission to say, oh, it's not happening. Start over, take it from the top, start that routine one more time and try again. Because like Rebecca, I lay there and I look around and I think, oh gosh, I could be doing so many, so many things with my time right now other than struggling to sleep. So I really appreciate that, that advice of getting into a routine, giving yourself permission to start it again if it hasn't quite worked for you. Is there a recommended amount of time that you should be spending setting yourself up for success in sleep? So taking 20, if you know, you have a little bit more time would be terrific, but the 20, 30 minutes is really ideal to start shifting focus towards uh, getting ready for bed. And that's unplugging from your mobile phone, you're turning your, your device into airplane mode, switching to reading, turning the lights down. And again, really whatever is relaxing to you. But ideally, if it's, um, you know, really the 30 or 40 minutes before bed would, would even be even more ideal. I can do that. 30 minutes is something I can do. I think a lot about how we replace behaviors, right? If I can spend 30 minutes watching a sitcom or 30 minutes scrolling through social media or 30 minutes cooking a meal, like I can spend 30 minutes preparing myself for a good night's sleep. 
especially when it's going to be something that helps me mitigate my pain through the day. That's a huge component. I wonder for folks who really do have pain as a, a key element to their pain insomnia, their, their insomnia, their difficulty sleeping. I wonder if you have recommendations for ways that that we can mitigate pain as a part of that bedtime routine. Is it, you know, using a particular melatonin type substance? Is it doing some physical therapy and some stretches? What are some recommendations you might have for patients with chronic pain as they approach their bedtime routine? Well, certainly doing everything that your doctor recommends, whether that's, you know, stretches throughout the day, strengthening exercises, all of that uh, is so critical to allow you to be at peace when it comes to bedtime and get the sleep. It will allow your muscles, your body to heal over the night and allow you to wake up and um, better manage your pain tomorrow. So certainly adhering to the recommendations from your uh, healthcare provider, your physical therapist, et cetera, you know, being really diligent about that. And then in the time before bed, what we do recommend from a sleep standpoint, we, we definitely know, and these could also be strategies that may well help your pain, are light yoga poses. If you're, you've ever taken a yoga class and think about the, uh, the poses that you do at the beginning of the session, down dog, gentle up dog, you know, sitting in a comfortable seated position in meditation, all of those strategies are so powerful for, you know, again, resetting the, the brain, kind of stepping away from your day. And when you can match those more physical exercises and relaxation strategies with real tools of meditation, which are breathing exercises. So as you do those, med- those yoga poses, those gentle poses, you can start to match that movement with a breath. And so that is you know, really a great strategy, if you're, particularly if you're struggling with a really busy mind. So as you, you know, go into up dog, take a big breath in and try to lengthen that breath out. And then as you exhale, take a deep breath out and press back into down dog. So that is really the work of the yoga practice, which is matching movement with breath. So it's in that way, a form of meditation, but I can imagine it offering some benefits from the standpoint of pain. Definitely. I can attest to that myself. I am actually an occupational therapist, Dr. Robbins. And one of the things that I started employing months and months ago is doing some stretches that are basically yoga stretches, a series of them. And I use my foam roller. I have osteoarthritis in my spine, so I have a lot of back pain too. And so I do a series of stretches before bed. And one of the things I like to teach patients as well is that if you think about it, when you are in bed, if you're sleeping well, you're not moving as much. And what's good for our joints is movement. And so moving before I go to bed kind of helps me to settle and work out some kinks in my muscles that might be affecting my joints. And then when I wake up, also stretching. So that's become part of my bedtime routine and my morning routine so that I know that I can address that pain before I actually climb into bed. And it's like you said, a routine is important. And another suggestion I love is taking a warm bath with Epsom salt and lavender. I I do Mm -hmm. that. And usually that's like my best night of sleep without having to take something to help me sleep. That's right. That is a fantastic strategy. I actually do a fair amount of Epsom salt bath (laughs) as the work kindred spirits. Uh, and that, you know, that's right in the playbook for good sleep. And you know, how, that's a, another great option in response to that question about you know, how to best minimize pain to maximize sleep. Definitely. So we've talked a lot about the routine to get you into bed, ready for sleep, prepared for a successful night. 
But once you're there, are there particular sleeping positions that you can be in to really support that successful night's sleep? I know for me, it really will depend on which of my joints is flaring or aching or kind of in pain. Do you have some recommendations on top dollar (laughs) sleeping positions that can really help be conducive for a good night's sleep? It's hard to say that there's one you know, best sleeper position because if you talk to a dermatologist, they'll say that it's your back because then you won't get you know, the movement of your skin against the pillow and extra wrinkles. If you talk to some chiropractors, they'll also say back from the standpoint of kind of spine health. My personal position is the bedroom um, environment is really important and that's kind of the foundation of our sleep, meaning the mattress and pillows. You want a mattress that is supportive of your spinal column, a pillow that's supportive of your sleeper position. We all move in and out of our preferred sleeper position. So we'll generally have a a preference where we feel the most comfortable, the most at ease, and that will be one of three types or positions that stomach, back, or side. And my position is really that, you know, that's your preference that's developed over time. And, you know, maybe that's how you slept as a child. And it would be hard to try to change your position. And so I think the best thing to do is for for all of us, just set up your bedroom environment to best support that position. So if you're a side sleeper, then you know you want a mattress that keeps your spinal column in one line, uh, not a mattress that's extremely, you know, maybe cozy or soft, because then your spinal column could be out of alignment as your, you know, hips maybe drop down below your shoulders, for instance, or um, any form of anything that would take your spine again out of alignment. And your pillow, if you're a side sleeper, you'll probably need a thicker pillow than if you're a back or a stomach sleeper. Because if you envision yourself on your side on the mattress, the space between your shoulders and your, your crown, the, the head is you know, at least you know, four to six inches. And so you want a pillow that's going to be able to support that. You want to shop around and really lie down at the store and uh, make sure that in whatever position you prefer, that pillow and that mattress are optimally supporting your spinal column and your cervical spine in particular. One exception though, are people with, you know, real severe back pain. And often those individuals, you know, even if side sleeping is their preference, sometimes a back, moving to the back can ease some back pain. So that can be one exception. But that's a hard one. I'm a side sleeper. (laughs) I've had fusions and I, I try, I try really hard to sleep on my back and I, It's not my most comfortable position, but you're right. You really have to try things out. What I always recommend to people too, physical therapy and occupational therapy can help you with positioning when it comes to sleep, especially custom tailor it to your joint issues. And so when I was first diagnosed, I would get lots of shoulder issues and frozen shoulder and always had shoulder pain. And so it was probably a couple years into my diagnosis when I was going to a physical therapist for my frozen shoulder. And he was like, show me how you sleep. And I hadn't even thought about it. And he didn't realize I was a side sleeper. And I showed him how I slept on the mat. And he's like, oh, there you go. And he showed me a different way to adjust my shoulder and shoulder blades and how I sleep um, still on my side, but not really on my back and using a lot of pillows for support. And that's how I sleep now. And it really decreased my shoulder pain. And I haven't really had frozen shoulder in many years, but it really highlighted the importance of having somebody really kind of talk you through and, and teach you how to support your joints in a better way. So... 
Yeah, set up your your mattress and your pillows to best support your position. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll share the same thing. You know, I have a tremendous amount of back pain and it's very hard to sleep on my back that way. But if I put two pillows underneath my knees and can kind of sit in a chair-like or lay in a chair-like position, I reduce the pressure that's on my back and it feels much nicer and I'm able to sleep better. Another problem that I face that I've figured out my workarounds to, if my ankles are flaring and they're in pain, the weight of the blankets can be overwhelming and just too much. And so I have learned how to make my bed a certain way that my feet can pop out comfortably at the end of the night. So when I'm sleeping, I don't have to feel that pressure on those joints. And so I I hate to say that it's something that you have to learn and adapt and grow and change with, but learning how to sleep is a science experiment. And it's one that you just have to try and change different variables and think differently about every time, especially when you're in a flare. Sometimes you're flaring and it's a different joint than usual. Those are great learning moments to figure out how to accommodate when it's your elbow rather than your shoulder or your knee rather than your hip. And so one of the things I like to do is to write those things down. Or if I'm not writing those things down, I'm sharing them with someone who loves me. Usually my mom, who's my sounding board when it comes to all things arthritis. And I say, hey, this is what we did today. Here's how it worked out. Help me remember this for the future. And she always does, or my journal always does. It's an incredibly effective and helpful thing as you tackle those different waxing and waning moments of arthritis and what that looks like. Oh, I love that. And that really highlights just sleep is, is a family issue also. Um, oh, yeah. You sleep with a spouse or a loved one. It's really or hard. Not. To <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or not. You can't sleep well with them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's another thing we should discuss. But, yeah. you know, it's a really great thing to start a dialogue, particularly that comment really highlights from like the standpoint of arthritis and managing pain. And then as it relates to sleep, then it becomes something that you guys, you can share, you and your loved mm-hmm. ones, and you can create an environment in your household that's supportive of sleep. Because so many times people come to me and they're like, oh, you know, my kids, they are up all night or my spouse is, you know, falls asleep in the easy chair and then comes to bed at a.m. <laughs> and wakes me up. Yes. So a fundamentally shared issue if there are other people in your household. So, so I love that. Having a dialogue about pain and about sleep are, um, are so wonderful to then share, you know, good strategies also, you know, have, if you've been struggling and your, or your spouse has giving them some ideas mm-hmm. or sharing your experience can be really helpful and help you both improve. Definitely. Definitely. I yeah. think so. It's hard. It's a hard thing. There, there are times where I'm, I have to tell my husband, like, I really need some sleep. I haven't slept well in a few days and then he'll purposefully make sure I get sleep. So either he'll sleep on the couch or one of us will sleep in the other room, in the guest room, just to make sure that I can get a good night of sleep because he knows how much it affects my pain the next day if I don't. Or my ability to like think in my brain fog. And so just being able to focus because I haven't had good sleep. What are your thoughts as a sleep expert on weighted blankets? So as an OT, I you know, know a little bit more about them. But as somebody with chronic pain, and I went through a phase where I was having awful fibromyalgia pain. And that was the one thing that felt good on me to help me calm to feel like I could even sleep. Interesting. So that is terrific. And I have noticed this explosion of interest in these 
on social media platforms and things like that. I, I think the concept is really interesting. And, and my hypothesis is that essentially when we were in the womb, we were just surrounded on all sides by fluid just kind of compressing you. And so in many ways, I mean, what is cozy to us is, you know, it's a hug, you know, feeling hugged. And at night, we really, we want to find that place of comfort. You know, how you feel when you're being hugged, you're, you're comforted, you're supported. There's pressure on all sides of you. So I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I think it, it helps calm. It comes, I'm like, oh, wow. It was like taking a deep <laughs> breath is what it felt like. Because I really, that I kept asking my husband, like, can you just squeeze me? Like I need a bear hug. I need, I need pressure. And and that's what helped that nerve pain kind of go away. And so the weighted blanket totally serves that purpose. Mm, That's great. Visit our special resources webpage at arthritis.org slash cares for more information about avoiding COVID-19, as well as tips for returning safely to school and college. Also learn about our webinars on coronavirus topics like employee rights, emotional well-being, and navigating juvenile arthritis and family care, plus much more. Go to arthritis.org slash cares. Is there a magic number of how much sleep we should be getting each night? The target for the vast majority of adults is seven to eight hours. However, if you're far from that mark, do try to, to move in baby steps towards that goal of seven to eight hours. So if you're you know, um, listening in and you're getting something close to five or six, don't worry. But also don't try to change overnight. It's a little bit challenging to go from a five-hour sleeper schedule to something that's longer. We encourage people to think in about 15 or 20-minute increments and starting tonight, trying to just go to bed a little bit earlier or maybe allow yourself to sleep a little bit longer in the morning. And about 15 or 20 minutes every day until you reach that goal of about seven to eight hours. And one of the best ways to tell if you're meeting your sleep need is in the afternoon when you've uh, been up for quite a few hours, you've probably had some meetings or some errands and you've had lunch. And if you're tight, if you really struggle to push through this dip, this kind of afternoon dip, it's a sure sign that you're not quite getting enough sleep. So that test in the afternoon, that's a great thing to keep track of. And you can keep just a daily journal, you know, how you feel in the afternoon and what other good sleep strategies you're uh, practicing or what others you could try. And then once when you've added a little bit more sleep and you're able to power through that afternoon dip and alertness without any caffeine, then you have hit your target and you're in good shape. One other thing to keep in mind, however, is some people, some healthy sleepers really enjoy a nap every afternoon. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I need one. That's fantastic. And how long do you nap for? Um, You know, I got into this routine where I would set an alarm for like 20 minutes and try to do a power nap. If I sleep any longer, then I can't wake up. (laughs) 15 to 20 minutes is what I try to set an alarm and I will fall asleep pretty quick. (laughs) So you're right on. That's the power nap. It's about 20 minutes in duration and just much longer than that. It kind of, we go into a different stage of sleep. Whereas the 20 minutes is just, you know, it's just light enough. It's just the lighter stages to allow us to power through the rest of our day. If you haven't quite gotten to that seven or eight hours the night before. So it can be part of a healthy sleeper's routine with one exception. Uh, Anyone who's experiencing nighttime sleep disturbance, so difficulty 
maintaining sleep, you're waking up or you know, really having a hard time falling asleep. Anyone who's in that category of um, you know, kind of borderline insomnia, try not to nap. You really want to power through your day and build up what we call your overall sleep pressure. It's just essentially the number of hours that we're awake, increase this pressure, create a sense of sleepiness that then result in our ability to fall asleep at night. So the one exception is anyone who's experiencing those difficulties to try to avoid napping. I'm in that boat. I'm hesitant for the power nap because it always screws me up later on. And I know how much, how important it is to to sleep later. And I find myself just getting so anxious about destroying my sleep for that evening that I can't actually fall asleep in my 20 minutes. So I'm, <laughs> I fall into that boat. Well, sleep is so psychological. That comment really rings true with me. You know, if I ever find my, and you know, I have bouts of insomnia too. I mm. will say, you know, how perfect is your sleep? And, and the thing is, it's, it's just fundamentally not going to be perfect every night because all of us experience life and that has highs and lows. And take right now in our world, there's a lot going on that's really hard to process and your sleep is likely to be affected. And so it's important to acknowledge that. It's really, it's, if you're in pursuit of perfection, um, sleep is really not the area to do that. So acknowledging that you know, every day is going to be a little bit different. It's really all about small changes. You know, and everything we talked about today, it's not rocket science. It's really you know, making sleep a priority, but you know, just doing the small things, turning off your phone, sticking to your bedtime routine, but they all go a really long way towards better rest. Dr. Robbins, we have a lot of people who tend to watch TV at night before they fall asleep or they keep the TV on all night as they sleep. Could you comment on whether that's best practice or what some maybe healthy behaviors could be in that situation? If you have difficulty falling asleep and if you're watching you know, something jarring like news at night, it's not often happy news that's being reported. So if you find that you're really struggling to fall asleep, you might limit your television watching before bed. So we wouldn't say, you know, we encourage television watching, but if you are experiencing difficulty, we would encourage uh, stopping television watching and maybe doing something else like reading a book or taking a warm shower, an Epsom salt bath, like we discussed on the podcast, something along those lines might be a slightly better choice. Sir, what are your top three takeaways when it comes to sleep for our community of people with arthritis? Number one, as we've talked about, is really start to power down close to bedtime. It's not a a switch that we can just flip um, to fall into sleep. Unfortunately, it really is a process. And to try to fall in love with that process, start a bedtime routine that you really enjoy and you look forward to every night. Number two, keep an eye on what we do over the course of the day. Really be mindful about your physician-recommended protocol for managing your pain, whether that's physical therapy, whatever your regimen, really making that a priority. Then maybe coupling that with some light yoga poses like we talked about, or the Epsom salt bath as part of your bedtime routine. (laughs) So really being mindful of how you're managing your pain and what you're doing over the course of the day. In that similar vein, we see that people who make exercise a priority, simply breaking a sweat, as many days of the week as possible. They get better sleep than people who don't. And finally, just nothing fancy, but making the time, committing to a sleep routine that will allow you to get at least seven hours of sleep at night. If you're diligent, you know, really wake up to what good, great sleep really is. 
Wow. Thank you so much. This has been very enlightening. And That's right. But it's also stuff that we all know. It's just, I think one of the things you said is make time for it. Yeah. Uh, make time to address your sleep issues because it's so important. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Robbins. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Pleasure's all mine. This Live Yes with Arthritis podcast was brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation. We're bringing together leaders in the arthritis community to help you make a difference in your own life in ways that make sense. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. The Arthritis Foundation would like to thank Sanofi Genzyme Regeneron for sponsoring today's episode. Go to arthritis.org slash liveyespodcast for episodes and show notes. And stay in touch 